Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. So there's been a run of these different populist politicians. They come out of nowhere. The media screams bloody murder. Oh, the far right is on the march and they're going to win everything. The populists are taking over. And then they get elected and, and it's been a mixed bag. You have some people who are seem like big successes, some people who are very disappointing and it's hard to know because the media just blows this stuff out of proportion how real these people are how much of an effect they're gonna have if they're gonna be a positive force for their countries and for kind of the wider movement against the globalist and so one of those people who's obviously been a big deal deal has been javier mele he has won he's a libertarian and uh he's he's running around with chainsaws and he's got a superhero costume a lot of people have questions. Is this guy for real? Is he really going to change things? But I think what's most important is understanding the state that Argentina was in before that election. And so to do that, I wanted to bring in somebody who could tell us a little more about the on-the-ground politics, the history, and what this victory means. Joining me today is the uh, constant presence in the online right Twitter sphere and a Substack writer, Lady Astor. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Hi. Hi. No, it's it's great because like I said, you, you, I saw you posting, you know, and I was a little hesitant when I originally saw the win because, again, at this point, I've had so many times the press has hyped up these candidates. And, and so I was like, I want to see some action before, you know, before I get too excited. But you were letting people know that you felt this, this, this was a big win for the people of Argentina. And because, of course, you have far more knowledge when it comes to to kind of the reality of this, I wanted to bring you on so you could let people know kind of the background and what this victory means. Well, thank you so much again. And first off, this was absolutely unexpected. Uh, I was rooting for the win and thought that he had a real shot, but never could imagine he'd win by such a high margin. We're talking 11, almost 12 points difference. Uh, Millet won by 56%, easy, super comfortable. And I bet that if you take all the foul play that we're used to in this country, because of course there's destruction of ballots, miscounting, and especially in certain um, provinces, which are basically feudal you know, enclaves in which the governor is lord. Some of them have been for decades in power. So they are able to even control, you know, the IDs of the people. And uh, you, you can fill out uh, pre-ballots, you know, in those places. Of course, not in, in the cities that are controlled by other parties. But if you take that into consideration, I'd tell you that he won by 60%. So what does this mean? This means that people were completely fed up and they wanted radical change and they were not turned off by all this talk about like he's a madman. Oh, my God, what is he going to do? Uh, just think about this in these terms. What we had was the devil, you know, or an opportunity for something different that perhaps you don't really know what's going to happen, but the uncertainty is preferred to the certainty of doom. And after the past four years, which were excruciating to live through, 
I think people said no more. And no matter what uh, uh, like uh, the ruling party did to stay in power, it was not enough because people truly wanted to change and were fed up. And this was the answer. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a pattern we've seen happen so often. Of course, a lot of people want to call him, you know, the the Argentinian Trump. And it seems like everybody's, you know, every every uh, the U.S. always wants to tie everybody to their latest uh, election. But but a lot of people have seen that phenomenon of throwing off the establishment and being willing to take a chance with the unknown because the establishment is so frustrating. I want to dive into that history you've been taught you were talking about so that we have a frame of reference as to what this win means before we talk about uh, Melee himself. But before we do that, guys, let's hear it from today's sponsor. These days, it's impossible to thrive with just one job. Between increasing living costs, paying off debts, and planning for the future, things like buying a home, building savings, and even going on vacation can seem like fantasies. If your goal is financial freedom, you could start taking on more hours at your current job, work towards a promotion, or try putting your money into something risky like stocks, cryptocurrencies, or even a side hustle. But at the end of the day, do you really want to sacrifice time and energy that could otherwise be spent with your loved ones or on your hobbies just to make a living? Luckily, you don't have to hustle to reliably make more money. All you have to do is job stacking. Job stacking is the best way for regular people, regular employees, to unleash their earning potential and increase job and financial security. How? By working multiple jobs, but without burning out or more importantly, getting caught by corporate overlords. Job stacking allows you to reliably receive paychecks from multiple employers each month without having to work more than eight hours a day. You don't have to be in tech or any particular field or industry to do it as long as you can work remotely. If you've thought about working multiple jobs, but you're not sure how to start or are afraid of getting caught, get the fundamental job stacking course today and learn all of the secrets on how to sustainably work multiple full-time jobs from the foremost expert on the matter, Rolf Halza, author of Job Stacking. Rolf has worked multiple full-time jobs since 2018, including hybrid jobs, and has condensed all of his experiences and wisdom into a single four-module online course so you can start proficiently job stacking without having to make mistakes, figuring things out on your own, or reinventing the wheel in the process. Go to www.jobstacking.com and enter the promo code ORIN to get a special discount. All right, so Lady Astor, like I said, I want to set that frame so we understand what happened with this election. So for people who are unfamiliar with Argentina and kind of the political dynamic there, I know there's there's probably way more that we can get into right now, but could you give a basic outline of the situation? I know Argentina, for instance, has defaulted on its debt multiple times. That's had a serious economic impact and, a, and an impact on obviously the way people are living their lives there. Could you talk a little bit about how things have been in the last 20 or so years in Argentina? Yes. Well, first off, uh, it's perhaps there's two ways to go at this. We can start 20 years ago or we can start in 1983. Mm -hmm. So 1983 is the return of quote unquote democracy to Argentina. You have to notice that this is a country that's been through 14 coup d'etats, okay? So that democracy is something that has always been considered kind of flimsy. And right now it's been 40 years of democracy and it's been crowned by this election, which, you know, could signal two things, either that it's working really well or that it's about to, you know, be challenged. You could you know, think of both situations. So 
from 1976 until 1983, you had the military junta in charge of the country. Before that, you have Perón. Um, why am I mentioning this uh, date so far into the past? It's because uh, the seed of everything that's been going on started there and then. Mm. Of course, you know, Perón is a very divisive figure in politics. And of course, in Argentina, you are either a Peronist or an anti-Peronist, which is which are uh, colloquially called gorillas. I'm not indeed a gorilla. I am pretty much uh, sympathizing of certain things regarding Peronism, uh, not the things that have been happening in the past uh, 20 years for sure, because I don't consider that real Peronism, but that's a super long and very complicated <laughs> chat. Yeah. I cannot delve on into that because the, the, it would there, there's not enough time in the world to debate this. But basically, uh, when Peron was not in Argentina, he courted both the left and the right wings within his supporters in order to make force to bring. But some of them, Montoneros, Erp, they were like Marxist guerrillas, many of them who were trained in Cuba, um, inspired by the Cuban revolution. Um, so they began doing a series of terrorist attacks on the population and uh, to certain uh, military enclaves, you know, and all that. So. This is very complicated because this is what sets the grounds for this. They hate it when we call it war, but for me, it was a war. A lot of people are going to eviscerate me on Twitter. I know this, but I was not alive then. And from the knowledge that I have, there were two factions within Peronism and they took the country by storm. Perón created the triple AAA uh, right-wing death squads in order to deal with the Marxist guerrillas. Uh, they took over entire provinces back in the day. So the problem is that at one point, Perón dies and his wife, Isabel, is left in charge of the government. And she has, you know, an advisor called López Regas, called the Dark Monk. They are certainly completely anti-communist. Actually, there's a backstory in which late Mr. Kissinger uh, was uh, trying to have meetings uh, in which Nixon would partner with Perón and have a complete anti-communist alliance of the entire Americas, thereby destroying what communism would become, was becoming, would become. And I'm very sorry that that did not happen. And I know that I'm going to be eviscerated by saying this as well. But this is the seed. So at one point, uh, stupidly, the junta decides to go to war against Britain. Uh, it was a very noble cause. It still is a noble cause. Sadly, uh, Argentina loses. And I believe that the true cost of losing that war was never revealed to the Argentine population, but the win 
by uh, Alfonsin, a social democrat who was very much close to communists and socialists, uh, became president and he's been considered the father of democracy. But to be honest, you know, that began a process of humiliation of Argentina and submission towards the so-called uh, world order, you know, and uh, from that moment on, uh, if you take out the 1986 World Cup soccer win, uh, then you have year upon year of humiliation and dismantling of everything from the armed forces to things that are intrinsically part of the Argentine culture. Uh, you know, that basically every single uh, part of the uh, agenda to, you know, change uh, the, the, the fabric of Western countries has been enacted here because uh, Argentina is the testing ground for the rest of Latin America. So we always get everything first, like divorce laws first than everyone else, abortion laws first than everyone else, um, uh, the, the, the civil union of um, homosexuals, uh, the same, you know, things like that, because of course, and I believe that in huge part, this were like the, the, the costs of losing this war. But from then we had a moment, uh, hyperinflation at the end of uh, the Alfonsine uh, presidency, I'm talking about uh, 1986 to 1989. This was truly terrible. I was a child and uh, we also had attempted coup d'etats, uh, seen things like tanks in the streets and uh, mortar fire from my balcony, something that never happened in January 6, 2021. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so like... Um, what I, real insurrection looks like. Yes, exactly. Like uh, your, your country has not seen this in the in the last uh, century, I believe. Uh, well, if we don't count the weather underground and uh, Susan Rosenberg-sponsored attacks to the Capitol, am I right? Sure. No, leftists are allowed to do terrorism. They're fine. They 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 get uh, they get university stations after they do that. Ah, so. yes, of course. Yeah. They don't, they yeah, don't with, go to jail. Well, with, but it's similar here. So you know all the terrorists in this from the seventies that were supposedly eradicated and forced into exile and persecuted by the military, but they're they all went into government. They all went into NGOs. They got they got uh, lots of uh, government subsidies for all their terrible and gruesome stories, some, much some of which were true. And actually, that was the greatest mistake, because I, I do not support whatsoever the military junta. I think that they were foolish and they did not do what they were tasked to do correctly. And actually, they were, you know, remnants from uh, Perón, you know, because they, they were not named into the positions just by, you know, a magical genie, you know, someone placed them in their mm -hmm. positions. Nobody's asking these questions. But after Alfonsin and extreme poverty, I'm telling you, Argentina in the 1980s looked like Eastern Europe. People dressed with uh, like tracksuits and uh, like uh, cheap imitations of um, 
American trainers. And suddenly in 1989 comes a Peronist, this Menem. Uh, and Menem was uh, uh, kind of like a under the table partner of Bush Sr. Uh, this is what we call here in Argentina a testaferro. I don't know if you're familiar with that word, but it's basically uh, a nominee <laughs> of someone, you know, it's like a person who's um, empowered to take, say, certain decisions. So this made Argentina become a part of the G20s. And uh, the first uh, the first years, the first presidency of Menem was a moment of economic bonanza. But at the same time, he privatized a lot of uh, public utilities and companies. And uh, eventually, much of that money was dilapidated via corruption. And the second Menem presidency was a complete debacle. And uh, then came briefly De La Rua in 2000. Uh, he's a radical. Radicals are have nothing to do with like being a radical. That's a, the name of the radical party. Is their milk toast uh, social democrats? Okay. And very progressive. Really, a, like a bane in this country. They manage bureaucracy and they will never go away. So then we have De La Roa, who is a complete disaster and is, has to leave the presidency in just two years. And that's the famous 2001 default that everyone talks about mm -hmm. in which Argentina had five presidents in a week. Yes. <laughs> so I lived through it. That's the moment I leave the country and go on a like a world tour of uh, living in seven different countries, uh, lots of cities. Uh, I was actually working, um, I, I was an academic back in the day. Uh, I studied philosophy, journalism, and uh, English. And uh, I was working for uh, a university at the time and uh, as uh, an interpreter for the Ministry of Education and the uh, National Senate. And I left all that First off, because it was boring, but, but secondly, because the economy was in the tank and I was not going to stay um, like waiting because I was too young. I didn't want to stay for it, you know, to just put my life on hold because of that. So uh, in 2003, there's a new election. Menem presents himself again and he actually won but he went to Balotage against someone. Nobody knew who he was, this weird-looking guy from Santa Cruz. It's a province in Patagonia with, you know, little population. And a complete unknown comes mm. with the right uh, godfather, uh, which is uh, Dualde. He's a kingmaker and he was a VP for President Menem. And he's behind some shady stuff, but I'm not going to talk ill about him, you know. <laughs> Sounds wise. So uh, some things happened and uh, somehow Nestor Kirchner becomes president. 
and uh, he begins a turn completely left to the point that there's this anchor lady. She is very famous, is Mirta Legrand. She has a talk show since the 60s. So like, she's like eternal. She's uh, outlived uh, the queen, queen of England now. Mm. And uh, so when, when she hosts them in her show, the, the lunches of Mirta Legrand, she says, Se viene el surdaje. Is the left wing coming? Like, with, uh, imagine that with like an elderly lady voice. She was yeah. actually uh, smartly, uh, you know, her, her, her kind of uh, senses were wise to the fact that something had changed. And then comes complete alignment to Cuba and uh, Chavez at the time. But what many people don't know is that they also, there was also a philosopher, an Argentine married to a French lady that was uh, operating from Britain, Essex University. His name was Ernesto Laclau, Laclau and uh, his wife Chantal Mouffe. And they are the ideologues, the true godfathers of, uh, of left-wing populism. Mm. And I have no idea why nobody talking about this, that basically all the left-wing populism of Latin America in that decade, the 2000s, actually stems from Essex University in the UK. I think that's sure. hilariously funny. Yeah. Because as, as you know, well, we were in a war with Britain, but Britain tried to invade Argentina several times. You know, we fought two British invasions and we won. And then Rosas was able to uh, stop them in the river with the, when the French and the British joined forces at the famed uh, Vuelta de Obligado battle in which eventually they're lost, but you know, the, 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 the embargo of the river was successful enough that they basically decided that it was too costly to pursue uh, because of the blockade. So in the end, it ended up being successful. Uh, but Argentina is a mysterious country and there's a lot that is said and much of it is not true. And much of it, it's like uh, propaganda being more successful than factual reality. For example, that uh, notion that there's uh, many Germans living in Argentina, which is not real. There's uh, less than 8% of the Argentine population are descended from Germans. And more than half of those are Bulga Germans that came in the 19th century and have nothing to do with the others. But, you know, it's like the power of Hollywood and, uh, you know, there's nothing we can do about that. So you were telling me that the last four years have been particularly brutal, especially uh, on young people with the COVID lockdown. I was not aware of the severity that that lockdown measures had gone to in Argentina during that time. Can you tell me a little bit about how that set the stage for Melee's win? Yes. Uh, well, first, uh, as I said, the, the Kirchner, uh, you know, the, the, the Kirchner decades uh, become too long. Then in 2015, there was an unlikely win by uh, Mauricio Macri, a contender, 
but uh, he ended up not being able to fulfill his promises of a better economy. And especially, he kind of betrayed his voting base because he became a lot like very Agenda 2030. He's been seen in a political act waving a global citizen flag. People were horrified. Okay, so for a while there was two factions and there was called the crack, La Grieta. So you had Kirchneristas and anti-Kirchneristas, but that, that was untenable. And uh, the Macri government was very underwhelming and could be considered a failure. Uh, actually, there's a great article by BAP on this. I think everybody should read it. Um, so then the, the Kirchneristas, because of the bad economy, they are able to win again and they bring uh, Alberto Fernandez, who used to be mostly a political operator that was close to the Kirchners. And of course, Christina as BP, because she's, of course, a big figure in Argentine politics. And I have to say, she's been smart and she had great charisma during her presidency. Now she's lost her shine, you know, and uh, she's... Uh, beleaguered and I think that uh, the attempted murder that she had where people basically did not believe that someone truly wanted to kill her I think that hit her in a big way but well 2019 there's a very tough election but this is still the the election of the crack in which the perception is that there's two sides in Argentinian politics but that was already not so so there's a big part of the population that's completely forgotten by both factions that dispute power. Then, well, there's the, Alberto Fernandez wins, and then when he's about to begin his term, um, COVID hits, and uh, somehow they become, I don't know if they were reading from the Chinese playbook or what, but the pandemic restrictions here were very, very tough. There was 155 days of full lockdown. We had curfews. Uh, you could only get out of your house to buy basic groceries. Every restaurant, everything closed, everything that you could do outside. You could not even go to a park. I've had my sister uh, come to pick up some food to my house. She lived only four blocks away and she was chased by a police car, you know, because they wanted to see if she was going home to where she was going. Um, when it was my father's uh, anniversary of, uh, of his passing, uh, because uh, the, his resting place is, is not in the city where I live, but in the outskirts of the city, and I could not take any vehicle or public transportation, not even an own car, because I had not a, a pass. I was not an essential worker or anything. So I was confined to my house. Uh, I would take a, a, like a just a bag, like a shopper bag, and pretend I was shopping and would walk many, many, many streets in order to cross the bridge and visit my father, you know. That, that for me was especially heavy, but for the children. 
And for young people, teenagers and children, they suffered the most because soon it was evident that this uh, illness, it was not hard for them. And they were forced to take years of their life for something that did not affect them in order to safeguard who obviously the government considered more important. And you, you would see that they also had like special privileges for people within the party. Then when the vaccines became available, uh, there was like a VIP uh, vaccine um, list. So only people who were part of the party, you know, the nomenclatura of uh, Kirchnerismo were able to get those shots. And, uh, you know, people were not uh, allowed to visit their loved ones in hospital. Many people died alone. Uh, so this was terrible. And my husband and I, we both work in entertainment. So our our jobs were completely destroyed. And uh, fortunately, I'm a writer and I was able to get by writing and doing translations. But many people lost everything and the, the government felt completely tone deaf. They did not care and it seemed that they actually were relishing this punishment visited upon the middle class specifically. And also everyone who works outside of the home. So this was a precious gift for the laptop class and for government bureaucrats. But it was hell for everyone else. And this uh, Versailles wannabes, they were completely oblivious to the suffering of the rest of the population. Incoming with the downward spiral of inflation that's now reached 150%, then you can imagine the despair of the people. But there were some canaries in the coal mine. I remember at one point, a friend of mine who's a photographer, uh, because they, they started to, at one point, they started to open up certain venues. But it was all, all, almost solely visited by people who were very young, the only ones who dared and were hungry to go out. So this photographer of mine tells me, okay, so I went to this party in seaside resort town of Mar del Plata, and this, and I went inside with um, one of these like uh, muscles for the face, right? Yeah. Like this face masks. Yeah. And he says that the kids began to curse at him and attack him, even went so far to remove his mask and throw it in the ground. And they were like literally screaming at him, fuck you, boomer, fuck you, boomers, things like that. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, please excuse my French <laughs> for dropping the F-bomb, but it was like that. So I'm just trying to convey the level of aggression. And when I was told this, I told my husband, listen, I think that something else is going on. Something is brewing and it's not going to be pretty because you have a situation of people who are getting lavish payments for, through government contacts and positions and make-believe jobs. But all these kids, these abandoned kids that are treated like they are the devil, because specifically the administration of Alberto Fernandez was very pandering to all the woke pieties. 
Mm. Literally, it seemed that they had, a, I don't know, they were taking a script from someone in Williamsburg. It was under like something that it had no, you couldn't understand it. Like in the middle of the pandemic, when everybody was in lockdown, they presented an ID specifically for non-binary people. Imagine okay. the tone deafness. Yeah. And then they they have the census through the pandemic. And in the census, they put a like a little section where people had to say if their gender was did not fit the one that they were given at birth, whatever. So they wanted to see, okay, so how many people in this country are truly you know, gender challenged. Like, basically, this is what's the question. I'm using gender challenged from here on out. That's that's a great, that's a great phrase. <laughs> You're welcome. And the accounting was 0.002%. Basically, we're talking about 5,000 people in the entire country. And the truth of the matter is that very quickly, so people like the mayor of the city of Buenos Aires, Rodriguez Larreta, who basically governed, he lost his election, but he governed by focus groups. He was like, okay, everybody just drop everything regarding inclusive, inclusive language now, yesterday, drop it, ban it, get it out of here. We're not, like, we're not pissing people off because of 5,000 fanatics in the entire country. We're just not. But this tells you about what was the priority for the Fernandez administration. They literally were pandering to every woke collective, but not to people who were hungry. And then we reach 2023, and you have 60% of children living under the line of poverty. Wow. 60% of children who cannot eat a square meal a day. And you have government-funded investigations at CONICET where they are paying almost a million pesos a month to someone who's doing research on Batman's anus. No, I'm not joking. I wish I was. So and unfortunately, well, well, it's it's both sad and hilarious at the same time. This story sounds very familiar. It's of course got its own Argentinian flair, but you know, but the need of these people, the obsession with you know these leftist policies that feel you know imported from other places, just ignoring the devastation of the average person, their way of life, their well-being. So many people in poverty, damaged by these leftist policies beforehand and then obviously the lockdown and the focus on this stuff it, it sounds again very familiar and i think that's why we're seeing this pattern repeat over and over again i'm really glad that you gave us that background because i think that's going to help people understand more than about kind of what happened with melee here and i want to get into then you know how this brings him maybe get a little more of his backstory and then what you think he's going to do or how you think he's going to impact things. But before we do that, guys, let me tell you real quickly about The Blind. For years, Hollywood's been lacking when it comes to stories of redemption. Movies and TV shows have trended towards the anti-hero, a flawed person who makes no effort to change and just becomes worse and worse as the story goes on. 
Well, here's some great news. The Blind, the True Story of the Robertson Family is now available for purchase on Blaze TV. Maybe you've made a mess of your life. Maybe someone you love is in a dark place. Maybe all of the above. If you or someone you know feels beyond redemption, you need to watch this movie. And you'll see there's always hope. The Blind takes you on an incredible journey through the life of Phil Robertson, giving you an intimate look into the man behind the legend and the trials, triumphs, and values that shaped him through the years. While The Blind wasn't a Blaze Media production, since Phil is such a big part of our Blaze TV family, we wanted to make sure that you had the opportunity to stream it here. Because it isn't ours, we can't include it as part of the subscription. But if you'd rather purchase it and stream it here rather than Apple or Amazon, we wanted to make sure that you had the opportunity to do that. Make sure to act now. Don't miss this opportunity to own The Blind, a Phil Robinson story on Blaze TV. You can buy it today at blazetv.com, The Blind, for $19.99. That's blazetv.com slash The Blind. All right. So, like you said, understand now that, uh, you know, everyone there is in a, you're seeing that backlash after these lockdowns, after the callous way that the government is treating the average person, after this focus on wokeness. I have a lot of people asking, I thought I heard it too, but did you say that they spent money on Batman's anus? I'm sorry, I don't want to get too deep into that, but <laughs> I, I'm fascinated now. <laughs> well, yes, uh, actually, this was a talking point during the campaign, and I have to shine light on uh, now newly minted BP. She's going to, uh, she's the running mate of Millet, Victoria mm -hmm. Villarruel. Fortunately, she's a friend of mine, and I love her very much. I'm very proud. But yes, there is uh, the, the this investigation was conducted by a sociologist whose name is Facundo Saxe, and I can uh, you, people can Google it. Uh, I'm going to uh, share. It's like they can uh, Google that this was a real investigation in which uh, he was. Uh, Talking about the the, the like uh, the machismo, like uh, it's like from a feminist point of view, and how like the anti-gay, you know, uh, investigation, like just something completely out of any coherence. But money was spent on this. But did it, it involve defended. Batman? That's that's what it I'm did. Saying. It okay. did. It <laughs> that's, did. That's amazing. Okay. Wait, I, I, I'm actually now searching. Yes. There's, I'm, I'm sharing with you, people can, uh, of course, uh, you know, look it for themselves. Uh, yes, uh, there's uh, a whole article about the re report. It's called, uh, the report is called Anal Comics. When the comic book opens our bats and we like it, published by uh, Educator, Facundo Saxe. Amazing. Okay. okay. Yes. So it is true. I'm going to share with you the link so you can share it with interested people who might not <laughs> believe this is true, but sadly it was and is true. And uh, while children were hungry, uh, the nation was spending money on this. There you go. Yep. Okay. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, like i said i just wanted to make sure we heard you right because that that was too no 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 I, you, crazy. you didn't right. hear me right <laughs> all right so actually so the... no i wanted to notice something actually yeah. it was the feminists and their gruesome displays when they passed and celebrated the abortion laws that opened up the country to like the pandemic being over 
because mm. their, their street celebrations gave us all the knowledge that, of course, the virus was not dangerous. Oh, so because, this is like your BLM, where all of a sudden yes, these, yes, you're supposed yes, to be locked down. Everything is yes, incredibly dangerous. That is correct. Yes. And then these people are celebrating in the streets yes. and they're showing you actually this is not a problem at all. Yeah, they, they, they were the, the, the end. They, they, they brought forth the end. Mm. And there's another thing that people don't talk about. I wrote about it in my Substack. Uh, after the passage of a law that was passed at 4 a.m. in the morning, people have to understand that uh, Argentina is a country very much infected by radical feminism because Argentina has 53% females and only 47% men. So this creates a situation of imbalance and the movement uh, that was funded lavishly by foreign NGOs uh, has appended the country. Basically, there's been like a vicious deployment of lawfare upon men. So this law that I'm talking about is called Ley Olympia. Uh, the, the law Olympia basically punishes every any man who dares to uh, disrespect or in any way uh, direct uh, violence against a woman online. And this also includes WhatsApp or Signal or, or Telegram. And it's so vague, this law is so vague that it says that it's by action or omission. So maybe you ghost someone and they denounce you. You know, uh, they say they, they create all this, uh, you know, this, these laws that are very broad in, specter, in spectrum. So they can basically throw a net to everyone that might be a problematic for their mantras and dogmas. You know, so this bashing reached a fever pitch when two radical feminists uh, murdered a child, a five-year-old, whose name was Lucio Dupuy. I spoke about him very much. Actually, I pray for him daily. He's always in my thoughts. But I believe, and many of my friends and even my husband believe that the gruesome torture and murder of Lucio by the hands of these individuals, let's not say more, monsters, uh, that kind of opened something up. People were already suspecting that there was a lot of hypocrisy in this movement and it was getting out of hand. There was true hatred against men. And any woman who has brothers, boys as children, you know, uncles, fathers, and any man in their family, home, friends, you know, they, they cannot allow this craziness to go on. So basically you have a whole class of boys and young men who've not only been maligned by press constantly, they go to school and there's literal classes that were inserted by leftist uh, politicians that only get like 1% of the votes, but they are in Congress, they get into the Education Commission and they are able to, you know, write policy that then every children has to endure. So they went to school and they were like told 
basically that if you are born male, you are a monster. You are a potential rapist. You're a potential murderer. So at one point, things begin to happen online. Podcasts begin to emerge, groups, anons, and this starts fermenting because some of us, I, I completely include myself, we began getting close to the American and the European right and their talking points. So we begin to see with Brexit in 2015 and with Trump in 2016 that there is an international thing going on that somehow the international left that's always been international, it's their anthem. Mm. <laughs> okay, so it's their anthem. They've always been you know, connected, but we haven't. And suddenly, for some reason, we start to coalesce and we start to interact and we start to tell each other, hey, look, this is happening. Oh, look at this. This is happening. And people start to, you know, make sense of things. So the, the, the online sphere is very coalescent with this young boys, mostly, that start to ask themselves, what's going on? What's going on here? Something's wrong, but it seems that it's it's worldwide. It's concerted. Yeah. And I think that this starts, you know, to, to, to begin a fertile ground. And Millet emerges from that because he starts talking about economy online. And he starts to bring theory to the fore. He literally made kids read Rothbard. I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm not joking. Yeah. It, 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 he is a libertarian, true blue libertarian, in the vein of Ron Paul. It's, Millet is what would have happened if a more bombastic Ron Paul won the election in the U.S. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of people have been worried about the libertarian title because, you know, he's running around with, you know, the, the ANCAP, you know, comic book suit and things and... You know, well, the, the, the that is because that is because Lilia Lemoyne, who is uh, part of uh, one of the founding members of uh, the La Libertad Avanza, his political party, she's a cosplayer, oh. and it was her behind some of these actions. That despite this, this happened years ago. Mm. But despite of how funny this seems now, it was actually a way of bringing younger people into it. You know, that was gotcha. the draw. Actually, Lilia, despite the fact that every time she opens her mouth, well, not every time, sometimes she says things that I agree with, but she has a way of getting enmeshed in scandals. And sometimes she says things that she couldn't see, say, she shouldn't say, but she is uh, attractive and interesting and uh you know, she's, uh, she was uh, very successful in making the party noticed. And this, you know, is, uh, you know, sometimes things that seem funny are also attractive, you know, and it was positive propaganda at mm -hmm. the time. It served its purpose. Nobody would have imagined at the moment when Millet was, you know, cosplaying as Captain Ancap that he would become 
actually the president of the country. Right, right. yeah, you probably didn't see that coming. But there's something that I have spoken about on my TL several times, and I go back to this. Like, you had the devil, you know, like in the tarot cards, you know, you have the devil, of course, and uh, you have the fool. You know, the fool sometimes is the joker, but the fool is always, you know, innocence. You know, this crazy person, this oddball, many of us thought, okay, all the serious people were not able to fix this problem, were enmeshed in, and that we've been trying to get out for so many years. Mm -hmm. So maybe the madman is the right choice for us. Because in the land of the mad, who else but the mad hatter himself to lead you out? <laughs> nope. Yeah. I, again, I think I think that's the, uh, again uh, echoes a lot of how people felt about Trump. You know, is, is he is he this practiced politician? Is he this polished guy? Is he going to you know bring you all of the finest points of policy from you know all these think tanks? No, but that's led you to ruin. So why would you want more of that? Try something yeah, different. And, and, even if it seems yes, crazy. absolutely. And he can do things that are weird, like his like the weirdness of like. Uh, trying to convert to Judaism or the weirdness of talking to his dead dog or like many other things, you know, but he's a goofball and uh, people maybe don't understand this, like that scene from the perspective of Argentina. These are not things that set in stone. Like he, or for example, like I was the other day surprised and like, he met Clinton. And I'm like, why the hell are they bringing him to meet Clinton of all people, yeah. you know, who have nothing to do with him. But then it was explained that a businessman named Vertain who was uh, traveling with him brokered that meeting and probably Millet just didn't want to, you know, lose face because Millet actually loves the United States of America loves them like and in a bit of a boomerish way i don't know if you understand what i'm meaning by this like he's a bit naive to yeah. what the us is now because sure. he's idealist about you and perhaps has a notion closer to what the us was 20 years ago and not what it is right now at the moment or the internal conflicts but uh at the same time you know he has people with him and i'm going to mention again victoria Villarroel, who's the vp but he she will have a big uh you know uh she, she's going to have a big say in everything related to security and defense because that's where she, her expertise lays so she's going to bring much more balance and a more traditionally right-wing, you know, side to the government. So in like, the last, oh, sorry, we're, no. we're running up against our time here. So I just wanted to get yes, in, yes, in, please, of in the last, in the last few minutes, I just wanted to get, what are some of the things that you're optimistic about with Melee? Like, what do you think that uh, you, you expect him to do or that you would hope that he would do changes you think that he'll make? That are going to be he, positive. He already has promised to cut the ministries from 18 back to the traditional eight that existed in my childhood. Uh, he's already going to cut uh, most of the bureaucracy. 
uh, Diana Mondino, the chancellor, said today that it's very likely that over 500 laws that are BS laws will be cut. Um, the Ministry of Gender and Women is going to be gone, and I'm very happy about that because yes, I'm throwing it, that one it, off the board there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was one off the board, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I do want that fuera. I I want the bureaucrats and the people who have been basically leeches to the general population to pay for the party before they leave. And Excellent. yes, that's basically all all we want, and I I don't want 60% of children suffering. I want all those children eating and the bureaucrats writing about Batman's anuses paying the bill. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's very hard to argue with. Well, we've got a couple of questions from the audience here. Before we pivot over to answer those, can you tell people where they can find you online? Yes, at Lady underscore Aster. And of course, in my Substack, that's uh, LadyAster.substack.com. Excellent. Yes, like I said, longtime fixture uh, in that Twitter sphere. So people should check that out so they can keep tabs on how things are going in Argentina from somebody who knows what's going on. All right. So Life of Brian here for $4.99. Thank you very much, sir. How many Argentine Argentine presidents had to escape in helicopters. Only one de la Rua in 2001. <laughs> well, you had you said you had five in one year, right? No, yeah, no, five in a week, but five they did week. not escape in helicopter. Oh, it's man. because nobody wanted to catch the hot potato. Yeah, it's like the <laughs> the Rome and the the uh, year of the four emperors in Rome, but you you exactly. did it even even faster. Yeah. <laughs> Bolero three nine three here for five dollars. Uh, will Melee make Argentina vote with Israel in the UN so that the resolution tallies are 18 or 18811 instead of 18910? Will Argentina invade Iran? Uh, uh, I, I, don't <laughs> I, I don't know if he's going to switch your entire foreign policy around. I, I don't know if you have anything to invade um, Iran with. But yeah. uh, Milley will probably side with Israel in world affairs uh, because he's a philo Semite. And uh, we're certainly not invading Iran because Argent Argentina has no armed forces whatsoever because they were dismantled by the left. Right. All right. And then we have uh, Deuce Boogaloo for $20. Thank you very much, sir. If Javier Mele truly is Argentina's Ron Paul, then the country will flourish at an unprecedented scale. America wouldn't have most of its problems today if the GOP had ba had was based enough to choose Ron Paul over McCain and Romney. Bless you, Deuce. I really hope for the same. I pray for the same. And I believe the same. I supported Ron Paul and fell in love with his ideas back in the day. And this is like a dream come true for me. I hope that he truly does what he's promised. Yeah, Ron Paul and Pat Buchanan, uh, age, age like wine, fine wine. Uh, when yes, it comes absolutely. To Love them Pat both. And uh, that, that, that was uh, the, the sort of inspiration that made me get so involved in American politics because American politics are geopolitical, world-making, king-making politics, you know. It's like that's yeah. the game of all games, the true great game, you know. So if you don't pay attention to that, it's like it's imperial politics. Like if you live in Pontus, how can you not look at Rome? 
I'm always in despair, praying that the emperor allows him to become to become a part of the uh, Roman society again. <laughs> yeah, for for better or for worse, we are the global hegemon. Hopefully, one day we'll we'll be exporting something that's uh, far more worthy of that. But uh, but for now, I'm glad that things have seemed to be trending in a good direction for you guys. I'm glad you're excited about your future. Of Thank course, you. congratulations on on that and i really hope that uh, that you know things develop as as you say because obviously it sounds like uh argentina definitely could use uh somebody who can reform what is going oh, on yes. there we need a break yeah absolutely well thank you again for coming on everyone thank please you. make sure that you're checking out lady astor's work and of course if this is your first time on my channel make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the youtube channel and if you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, you can go ahead and subscribe to our McIntyre show on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you everybody once again for coming by. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.